This is your host, Vernon Terrell, with Grace Ministries International, and it's time for Walking Free. And welcome back. This is Vernon Terrell, and I hear a lot about, uh, as we talk about grace and talk about what many we'll call the exchanged life. If you haven't heard that term, uh, Hudson Taylor really coined it many, many years ago. But this idea that it's Christ's life in me expressing his life through me. And that's the idea that uh, when I received Christ as my Savior, uh, I there was an exchange that took place. My old self died and I received a brand new self, a wonderful exchange. And as part of the new covenant, God's spirit dwells in me and in fact is joined together with my new spirit. And often in this community, we hear a lot about, and I've talked about it before, on the importance of being versus doing and, you know, sometimes I think we might swing that pendulum a little too far and we downplay this idea of doing. Nothing wrong with doing. Doing is awesome. Doing is great. In fact, doing changed the world in the first century. There was just a whole new way of doing, but it was because of their new being. And that's what really changed the world. So, Doing is important, and uh, Paul emphasizes that in his letter to the Philippians. And I want to think about this. I want to read you a couple of verses, and I want you to think about this in the context of relationship. And we live in this world in multiple relationships. And doing is important. You know why? Especially especially in the context of a relationship. The other people or the other person, well, they can't read your mind. They just can't. And when we try to do that, we, we get in trouble. And some of you say, yeah, I'm intuitive and I can do that. Well, that's great. You can read people. That's cool. Don't want to downplay that. But we're not called to read people's mind, and we're not called to have people read our mind. Paul says it this way in Philippians 1, verse 27. He says, conduct yourselves. This is how you're to behave. This is how you're to express. This is how you are to walk. We talk about stop talking and start walking. This is it. Here you go. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, of the good news of Christ. The good news of Christ is that Christ came, died, was buried, and rose again, not just for our forgiveness, but for our life. And Paul says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of that good news. 
so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. You plural, you together as a community are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And there's that word striving. You know, we're not to strive in our own strength, but we are to strive together. There is an element of doing and working together, working hard uh, together for the faith of the gospel. And in relationship, whether it's in your church or your small group, or your family, are you standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together? In your marriage, are you standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel? I don't know what God's called you to do. I know what God's called all of us to do, and that's to stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know, some people, you know, it, they sense God calling them uh, in certain directions, and that's awesome. Whatever direction you're going in, and by the way, don't wait if you're saying, I don't know where God's calling me. Start walking Trust him wherever the talents he's given you, the people he's put in your life, the, the ideas he's put in your heart. Start walking toward those. And as uh, Proverbs says, that, that as we commit our plans to the Lord, he will direct our steps. You know, just man plans his way. And Jeremiah says that, how do I know that I'll commit my plans and ask you for the plans? But ultimately, we're going to be planning our way. and We trust the Lord to direct our steps, which infers that we're walking somewhere. And there are times when we need to come away and stop and really seek the Lord. Absolutely. But the great majority of time, we should be stepping high and stepping out. And wherever God's leading, and wherever that is, he's calling you to walk in righteousness and calling you to walk in holiness and to conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, the good news of Christ. I like what he says here in verse 28. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them when you're not alarmed. It's like, wait, shouldn't they be scared? Uh, this is freaky. They're not really alarmed here. But of salvation for you and that too from God, knowing and trusting God for your own deliverance, for your rescue, for his comfort in the midst of the pain and the mess and the destruction that sometimes seems inevitable all around you, things are falling apart, but you can stand firm in your faith and your trust in the one who loves you and will be with you 
If the walls fall down, the, the walls fall down. He's with you. You don't have to be alarmed. It can be scary when things are falling apart. And we're called to stand and to keep moving forward as God directs. Because, in verse 29, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, I don't think anyone should go and pursue and try to find suffering. Don't worry. (laughs) It's going to find you. The world is broken. People are broken. The system is broken. Suffering will come. Hardship will come. Financial, career, relational, ministry, all kinds. It will come. So, yeah, don't go looking for it. But when it comes, don't be alarmed. It has been granted for Christ's sake that not only do we believe in him, but we also suffer for his sake. Now, sometimes the suffering that comes is, yeah, we made some pretty dumb decisions. And yeah, there's consequences. But sometimes, as we're ministering and we're loving and we're serving, things just don't go well. We get pushed back. And that's when we stand firm, knowing that he's with us. He loves us. And sometimes we experience the same conflict, as Paul says, which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. So, he goes in chapter 2, verse 1, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ. So, let me give you some encouragement as Paul is giving those who are listening to this letter being read or reading it as it's passed along. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Are you ready? Verse 3 of chapter 2 of Philippians. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Pay attention, married couples. Pay attention, dating couples. Pay attention, small group. Pay attention, church. Pay attention, work associates, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Wow. You can just stop right there for a moment. Often, we do things out of selfish motives, out of pride. Paul says, hey, stop. That's not worthy of this good news that you've received. 
here's what's worthy. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. If we could do that one thing, relationships would change, marriages would change. Work culture would change. I was in the workplace for 30 years, had the privilege of working with some incredible people. I had my share of run-ins and crazy times, I'll put it that way. And that's just, I guess, goes with the, goes with corporate work. How it, our culture at work would change if we did nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regarded one another as more important than ourselves, didn't step on each other for a promotion, didn't steal credit when it's not ours to, to have. We gave credit away. We lifted people up. What a dramatic culture shift that would be. And I'll tell you, it starts with leadership. It starts with you as a supervisor. It starts with you as a manager, a director, a vice president, a CEO. It starts with you. It starts with you and your marriage and your relationship. You say, well, they are not doing it. They're not acting. I know, I know, I know. We're not talking about them. We're talking about you, talking about me. It starts with me. And that's why, yeah, you're going to read, it it can hurt. It doesn't feel fair. And I'm not saying don't be safe. If you're in a relationship and you're being physically harmed, I'm not talking to you. Get out, get safe, number one. You can still walk in humility and get safe. You can still walk um, with this attitude uh, without empty, without pride, without selfishness, and get safe. But for those who are, that's not your particular case. You can choose to not merely... um, Look out for your own personal interest, as verse 4 says, but for the interest of others, those who are you, you're in relationship with, those in your sphere of influence, those at work, those at church, those in your group, those in your family. Wouldn't it be cool if at the next gathering, whatever that might be, you said, Lord, show me how I can look out for the interest of others Reveal to me what they need, where they're hurting, how I can lift them up, how I can encourage them. I did that all the time when I would work with youth, uh, high schools, uh, students at church for many, many years. When I would go each Sunday, I would go and say, Father, show me the one that you want me to encourage. Show me the one you want me just to sit beside. Show me the one that I can uh, lift up and, and understand where they are and help them, and regard them as more important. What can I do? Can I go grab them a 
a soda or a water, kind of a treat that they wouldn't expect. An early snack. You say, oh, that sounds so silly. You know, maybe. Sometimes it's the little things. Ask the Father how you can invest in others. In verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So this is how the Lord was. This is this was his attitude. We're getting a a sneak peek, if you will, a peek inside, behind the curtain of the attitude of Christ, who, although he existed in the form of God, Jesus Christ is and was and always will be God, omnipotent, omniscient, the one true God. It says he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. How about that? He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be asserted. I'm God. Do you know who you're talking to? You're talking to the creator of the universe. No. He was just Yeshua. Oh, yeah, he he was a rabbi. He was a carpenter. All man, all God. Crazy, but true. How did he do that? Well, he voluntarily, in verse 7, emptied himself. That word empty, it's this... It's this idea of divesting himself of all of the rights and the privileges of who he is and took the form of a bondservant being made in the likeness of men. In fact, verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. God of the universe humbled himself so much so by becoming obedient to the point of death. Obedient to who? To God the Father. He became obedient to his mission to save mankind as the one substitute to take away the sin that damaged this planet from the beginning when Adam and Eve first disobeyed. He took it all, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when you humble yourself and put others ahead of yourself and don't uh, merely look out for your personal interest, it hurts Sometimes it feels like death. Yeah. That's what really going through the cross. When you go and experience the cross in a certain situation, now you're already crucified with Christ, and you died and you're raised brand new in him. But we have opportunities to experience the cross, in quotes, 
every day. When we look out for the interest of others and we humble ourselves and do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And in verse 9, for this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, don't do it, you know, not just because I'm there, but now much more in my absence. He makes this statement. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And your fear and trembling isn't fear and trembling that God's going to get you. <laughs> no. Work out your salvation. Yes, work it out. Let what is in you come out. Work out the new you. Let it work out. And some, you know, it when you're working out, it can be hard. You ever, you know, when you're exercising and you are literally working out, it's hard. It's sweaty. It, but you're doing it for a reason, for a purpose. He says, work out your salvation. The brand new you, let it come from the inside out. Let Christ's life be expressed out. He says, with fear and trembling. Again, not scared of God, but knowing it's really a with a great humility. A fear and trembling is another word for this idea of of, of humility, knowing that it may not work out the way you want. As you work out and you humble yourself, you may get pushed back. You may get stepped on. Back in that day, you may get imprisoned. There was a lot of lot to fear and tremble about, but it's with a humility that whatever comes, I'm trusting Christ as my life. I'm trusting Christ as my source, as my redeemer. Verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. You're already blameless and innocent in Christ, but now you're going to prove it. Why? No one can read your mind. They can see your actions, and they can often discern your attitude, right? So do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you'll prove who you really are to this world, to your family, to your spouse, to your church, to your work. You'll prove yourselves to be the people you are, the blameless, innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world 
holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, Paul says, I will have reason to glory, because I didn't run in vain, nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. That's pretty strong language. Paul says, if I'm poured out as a drink offering, I'm killed, basically, upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I'm loving you to that point, as my Savior did. Because I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and you share your joy with me. So let me encourage you today to look out for others in your relationships, to do things without selfishness or empty conceit, and to trust the mighty, all-powerful, loving God in you to express his life and love to others through you. Not when people are watching, but in those moments when it's just you and them. Sometimes it's going to feel like you're going through a death through the cross. But trust me, on the other side, there's resurrection. And that's when you are not just talking, you are walking. You've been listening to Walking Free, a production of Grace Ministries International in Marietta, Georgia. For more information, go to our website at gmint.org. That's G-M-I-N-T dot O-R-G.